thank you for everyone who helped out with worship today for Tom and Dave with the children's story, our worship team as well. And this is my second Sabbath here. So I'm back. I haven't run away yet. And uh, the reason why I was not here last Sabbath was because I too was in Oshkosh, but I was with my old club and it was a tremendous experience to be there at Oshkosh, Wisconsin with Pathfinder International Campery, over 1,200 Pathfinders baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And what a privilege that I had to be able to participate with two baptisms. One was with my niece from Texas. That one was a surprise. I got a text message on Thursday, hey, Uncle Ira, would you be willing to, to do this baptism? That was a, a wonderful surprise. And then from my old club, James, James Power, if you're watching, if you're listening, uh, we are proud of you and your decision for Jesus Christ and uh, grateful that you've given your life to Jesus Christ. And I also understand that someone in our own club here at Downers Grove, detect detectives, was, uh, gave their heart to the Lord as well. So we're grateful for that Pathfinder in our own club. Pathfinders is an evangelistic ministry. What do you think? And it's worthy. It's worthy to support and worthy to be a part of. And what a pleasure it is for me to be a part of your club now as well. So registration, is that right? Tomorrow morning, what time? 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Let's be here. Let's bring a, a youth that is a Pathfinder age. And let's have a good school, uh, a Pathfinder year and a good school year as well. Um, spending the week with the school was tremendous as well playing the guitar being out there in uh, recess and pe and grateful for pat pat williams and our staff and uh, we're looking forward for a good school year at downers grove avenue school my goodness there's lots of things to to talk about and uh, lots of things that the lord is doing in my life and i know that what the lord has planned as well for Downers Grove Adventist, uh, Downers Grove Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so we're grateful for what the Lord is going to do. Looking for my notes. Hey, we want to also celebrate with the Leonor family. Baby Olivia was able to go to the NICU in uh, Elmhurst Memorial Hospital and celebrate just a little bit and have a prayer with baby. So grateful for baby Olivia, for Kevin and Hannah and uh, their newborn, and for the whole Leonor family. Uh, prayer meeting, went to my first prayer meeting here at Downers Grove as well. Finished up the book of Jonah, and what a tremendous story that was. And we're looking forward to the book of Matthew. So if you're willing to join us for the book of Matthew this Wednesday, and what time is it, 7 o'clock in our fellowship hall, join us as we journey through the book of Matthew and during our prayer meeting time. All right. Well, my mother, my mother, who is a, who was a registered nurse on this particular day was running around the house screaming, my baby, my baby. She just kept running around almost as if she was running around in circles, hysterically screaming, my baby, my baby. This was at a, in a, a Chicago-style bungalow house on Mozart Street, half a block from Swedish Covenant Hospital. 
I must have been at least two years old. I had developed a, an appetite crawling around on that shag carpet. This was in the ninth, early 1970s. Crawling around on that shag carpet, I had developed an appetite for carpet fuzz. <laughs> you heard me right. Carpet fuzz. Crawling around on that shag carpet, pulling out that fuzz and balling it up and putting it into my mouth. I had gotten enough carpet fuzz to the point where I started to choke. My mom was running around the house, hysterically screaming, my baby, my baby. Now, my mom is trained to do CPR. You know what CPR is, right? Cardiopulmonary resuscitation. It's, uh, it's one of those things where if somebody is needing basic life support, you initiate CPR. You want to make sure that they have an open airway. You want to make sure that their heart is beating, is pumping. My heart was beating, was pumping, but my lungs were not getting the oxygen that it needed. I started turning blue. My brother is the one that relates this story to me. So there's my mom. She's running around hysterically. And she somehow finds her way outside, goes to the neighbor's house, and asks our neighbor, Earl, to call 911. My brother is horrified and staring at this whole situation. But then there was my dad. My dad was trained as a respiratory therapist. Just the opposite of my mom. My dad is not hysterical. He's not running around. But what does he do? He initiates CPR. Well, open up the airway. Try to take out as much fuzz as you can. And unfortunately, I got sent to the hospital and was in the ICU for about a week. It was that traumatic. Cardiopulmonary resuscitation is a technique of basic life support for the purpose of oxygenating the heart, the lungs, the brain until and unless the appropriate medical treatment can come and restore the normal cardiopulmonary function. I happen to be a nurse. I needed CPR. I needed my father to come in close and to start rescue breathing. I needed life support from my father in order to live abundantly. Did you know that Jesus provided life support? He provided life support for a little girl, and if you would, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, the writer Mark is conveying a story a story after a powerful story of Jesus. Mark wants people who do not know about God, how powerful Jesus really was. And the first story of Mark chapter 5 is how Jesus delivered a man who was, was demon-possessed. Does Jesus have the power over evil? He certainly does. And that story was on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And when we pick up our story in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus had just crossed over from the east side of the Sea of Galilee over to the west side of the Sea of Galilee. He gets out of the boat 
and immediately is surrounded by crowds, crowds that have gathered around him. And if you can imagine that pressing crowd, but in the midst of that pressing crowd, it starts to part because there's this important man that is trying to get to Jesus. Making his way through the crowd is the ruler of the synagogue, a rabbi. His name is Jairus. And Jairus is desperate. He had hoped Jesus would come back to his seaside town, and out of desperation, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. What causes you to throw yourself at the feet of another person? What would cause you to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus? For Jairus, as important as he was, he had to humble himself before Jesus. He had heard the stories of of Jesus healing. Could Jesus heal his daughter? And so Jairus is desperate because his daughter is sick even to the point of death. So Jesus... Hurry, she is about to die. Let's read here. Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 22. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, Jesus, he fell at his feet, verse 23, and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. And so Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Jesus agrees to the request, maybe a little bit too easily for the tastes of the disciples. Jesus readily responds to the request of a prideful but now humble rabbi. These rabbis have been after Jesus from day one, and Here is Jesus willingly, even eagerly, going to the home of Jairus. The home of Jairus is not too far away, but it is taking a little bit of time to get there. People were crowding in around Jesus and just Jairus and the disciples. They were even more delayed because of some lady who had the audacity to crawl through the feet of the of this crowd, and try to even touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Have you heard that story before? Powerful story. But that's not our story for today. We're talking about Jairus and his near-dead daughter, and of course, the power of Jesus Christ. The whole scene is interrupted by a messenger coming from Jairus' home, His daughter, the news said, is dead. Jairus, your daughter's dead. There's no point in bothering the teacher. Don't worry about it. You've done everything that you could. You've done all the research you could. You've found all of the medical professionals that you could to try to help your daughter. They couldn't do anything. Your daughter is dead. Don't worry about it. Have you ever felt like it was a little bit too late in your life? Have you ever felt like your situation was too far gone that even Jesus is powerless? 
Maybe you have a relative or a friend, a coworker, who has decided that they are beyond the power of Jesus. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever decided to write somebody off? Like there was no more hope. Jairus is devastated. His child is dead. And all of the effort to save her life, even coming to Jesus at this late stage, seems fruitless now. But sensing the despair of a loving father, Jesus interrupts his thoughts. I don't know if Jesus has ever interrupted your thoughts before. It's usually when you are in a phase of negativity. Or maybe when you're in the middle of a rant that Jesus begins to interrupt. Has he ever interrupted you before? Yeah. Jesus is interrupting Jairus. And here's what he says. Jesus speaks up and says in Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only what? Oh, isn't that beautiful? Only believe. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. Verse, seven, verse 37 is what I consider to be the apex of our passage. It is at the peak of despair that Jesus wants to display for you. He wants to interrupt your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings. He wants to interrupt your negativity. He wants to display for you, and he wants you to experience his love and his power. And so today, he's not just whispering. He's legitimately trying to interrupt your thoughts, your life, and he wants to say to you, do not be afraid. Only believe. How many of you need that word this morning? You're in the midst of something where you are desperate for God to interrupt that negative experience that you're involved in. Maybe you are so angry today that you are in desperate need of God to interrupt your anger. Maybe you are fearful of something to the point of despair. Like nobody loves you, nobody cares. Jesus this morning is interrupting your thoughts. He's interrupting your emotions and your feelings. And he's probably even crying out to you. Do not be afraid. Only believe. What are you most afraid of today? Is it your health? Is it a relationship that you're in or not in? What are you most afraid of today? Is it the abuse that you're incurring in your own home? 
Is it the verbal abuse? Is it the physical abuse? Is it sexual abuse? What are you afraid of this morning? Maybe it's your work or somebody at work. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your past that you are most afraid of. Jesus is trying to interrupt your life today, this Sabbath, and say, do not be afraid, only believe. He's speaking to you. It's at this point in verse 37, I believe, that the story takes a shift. For Mark, the gospel writer, things are beginning to ramp up. The story is building and it's gaining momentum. Jesus takes with him his closest disciples. Everyone else needs to stay behind. And when Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and Jairus get to the house, there is a commotion. And of course, there's supposed to be a commotion. In that culture, when somebody is dead, you invite the professional mourners, the weepers, the wailers. The culture dictates that when somebody passes away and when they're dead, you call somebody in who professionally mourns, who's somebody who wails. I'm not going to wail. But can you imagine the weeping and the wailing? That's what they're supposed to do. Somebody is dead. We need to grieve, and not just grieve quietly, but out loud and obnoxiously. And this is the situation that Jesus is coming into. After saying, do not be afraid and only believe, he comes into this cultural situation the culture at that time is to mourn and wail, make a big spectacle of the one who had just passed away. The village knew that the little girl was about to die, so all preparations were made. Professional wailers were in place. And sometimes our culture is mistakenly and misunderstands the situation and creates a tumult, a big and unnecessary scene. When our culture, when our society misunderstands the power of God and makes a big scene. Jesus, with his words, goes counterculture in verse 39. Why make this commotion? Why weep? The child is not what? Child's not dead, but is? Really? The child's not dead, but is sleeping. Jesus says the dead girl is sleeping. If you check with the coroner, the girl is dead. If you check with the culture, the girl is dead. The professional wailers are there. But Jesus says that the girl is not dead, but is sleeping. So which one is she? Is she dead or is she asleep? Science says that she is dead. But what does Jesus say? She's asleep. This isn't the only time that Jesus refers to death as a sleep. He does it again in John chapter 11 with his good buddy Lazarus. Jesus, because he has the power, because he has the authority, defines death as a 
sleep. So if she's asleep, then all she needs is what? A little bit of an alarm clock of some sort, right? Maybe to a little shake and say, hey, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up, little girl. I don't know if you've ever tried to wake up somebody with PTSD. You know what PTSD is, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder. In uh, my former career as a nurse, I've taken care of a few patients, including some veterans. I've been told, I was told, by specific patients of mine who had PTSD, do not try to wake me up the way that you wake up other people. And they would give me instructions as to how to wake them up. You don't walk into a room of a, someone with PTSD and just yell or make big racket, right? They just jump out and they start freaking out. You have to find the specific way as to how to wake somebody up with PTSD. There is a specific way that Jesus chooses to wake up this little girl. I'm not saying that she had PTSD. All I'm saying is we need to be careful. That when you try to wake somebody up from a spiritual slumber, you can't do it the way that you were woken up. You need to be careful as how do you approach somebody else to try to wake them up to reality. Jesus chooses a specific way. Watch this. He comes close to the little girl. He holds her hand. Let's read together Mark chapter 5, verse 40. And by the way, when Jesus says that the little girl is sleeping, what does the crowd do? They laugh at him. They ridicule him. Jesus is getting used to that ridicule and that laughter. But when he had put them all outside, when he put the culture, the mistaken culture outside, when he put the doubters outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. Verse 41, then he took the child by the hand and he said to her, can you hear his tender voice at this point? And he said to her, Talitha, Kumi, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. I interpret that as Jesus giving a command. What do you think? Little girl, arise. And when Jesus gives a command, guess what has to happen? You've got to follow through with that command, right? When your commanding officer gives a command, the soldier follows through with a command. There's no choice there. The little girl really doesn't have a choice. She's sleeping. She's dead. But when Jesus gives a command and he reaches out and holds her hand, little girl, arise. She has to get up. Are you following? When Jesus gives a command, it has to happen. Verse 42, immediately the little girl arise, arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And what is the response of everybody else in the room? And they were overcome with great amazement. 
This is a fantastic story. And Jesus gives a command. It's a command for a little girl to come to life. It's as if Jesus gave her CPR, spiritual CPR. He didn't have to do mouth to mouth. He did hold her hand. Sometimes I need Jesus to hold my hand. But really all I need is for Jesus to give a command in my life. And I have no other choice but to follow through with that command. Jesus kicks out the, do the doubters. He clears a room of all negativity. Wouldn't that be nice? He takes the humility of the dead girl's parents and he takes the curiousness of his three disciples. He comes close to the girl, takes her cold and lifeless hand and in Aramaic says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And the response of the room is great amazement. You may find yourself on the brink of death. You may know somebody on the brink of death. Maybe you are in spiritual decline and you have lost the vibrancy of life. The culture of negativity is surrounding you and mocking you and pressing down upon you. You're needing a little bit of spiritual CPR from Jesus. You need Jesus to come close and resuscitate you. If you find yourself with no godly joy, you find yourself empty. If you find yourself not sharing the faith of God with others, if you, your prayer life is dull, if studying the word of God is boring, you need Jesus to come close, don't you? You need him to initiate some kind of spiritual CPR in your life. How many of you need Jesus to come close this morning? How many of you would love to live life in great amazement? To witness somebody else being revived to spiritual life? You know of somebody who needs that. They're spiritually slumbering. They need to be woken up. Maybe that someone is a relative, maybe a spouse, a child, a grandchild maybe a coworker or a neighbor, Jesus needs to come close. Jesus needs your permission for him to come close to that person, just like Jairus. Jairus didn't need that CPR, well, he needed the CPR, but he specifically wanted that CPR for his daughter. There is a form of inter intercessory CPR that we find in this story. Jairus puts his pride aside, his religious prideful heritage aside, and throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, will you please heal my daughter? And maybe that's you this morning, today. Jesus, please touch my child. Touch my parent. Touch my grandparent. Do your thing. Give the command. Bring my family back to spiritual vibrancy. Let me live a life of joy and great amazement. Are you willing like Jairus 
to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. Downers Grove, Seventh-day Adventist Church family, do not be afraid. Only believe. Believe that Jesus can revive. Believe that Jesus wants to come close and give the command to live. Does Jesus want to give that command? Absolutely. So let's wrap this up with one last thing, verse 42. It's the end of verse 42. It's the atmosphere of that room after Jesus has bringing, brought back to life the little girl. Everyone is overcome with great amazement. My new church family, I want my church to live every day overcome with great amazement. I want Jesus to be close to each of you. I want you to live lives of great amazement. I want you to experience the power of Jesus Christ every day. Is that okay, Pat? That every day of school here at Downers Grove Adventist School, that we witness and we experience the power of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be awesome every prayer meeting, every Wednesday, every Friday night gathering as we enter into Sabbath, that we experience the power of Jesus. This is the type of church that I want to be a part of. How about you? The power of Jesus Christ is real. He wants to give the command for spiritual CPR in your life, in the life of our community, this neighborhood, your family members. And every time we find also in Mark chapter 1, verse 27, in Mark chapter 7 and verse 37, that people were amazed. They worshiped Jesus because he had made all things well. I want to read here from Desire of Ages. Desire of Ages 347. We are witnesses. We are witnesses for God as we reveal in ourselves the working of a power that is divine. Every individual has a life distinct from all others and an experience differing essentially from theirs. God desires that our praise shall ascend to him marked by our own individuality. These precious acknowledgments to the praise of the glory of his grace when supported by a Christ-like life have an irresistible power that works for the salvation of souls. What I translate this to mean is that when you experience the power of Jesus Christ in your life, you begin to help other people come close to Jesus Christ. Is that evangelism? That's the type of witness that I desire of my church. And I hope you desire that as well. Let's go to that last slide there, Vicki. I only have two slides today. Isn't that great? I want to live a resuscitated and vibrant life for Jesus. Are we together? Can we do this together? 
I no longer want, to, want a lifeless spiritual life that is full of selfishness and darkness. What do you think? Can we do this together? Can we encourage one another? Can we ask, oh, what, what, what if we were to ask God, Lord, command negativity to, li- to leave my life? Take the criticism, the darkness, the anger that's within my heart, my mind, within my own household, within my own workspace. Lord, just command it to leave. And in replacement, bring in your joy, right? And your happiness, and your positivity, and your encouragement. Can we ask God to give that command today? Let's let him do that, right? Let's live vibrant, resuscitated lives in Jesus Christ. One more time. Is that you? Let us pray. Lord, revive me. Revive us. We need that negativity out of our lives. We need the darkness, the chaos. The culture around us is saying something different. It doesn't know you. But may they know you by the power that you have placed within us. I am praying, Lord, that for each of us, as a church family, that we live powerful lives in you. So breathe within us that spiritual life that we so desperately need. Give the command for us to go deeper with you in study of your word, to go deeper with you in prayer, and in witnessing, and in coming together as a church family. Lord, we are excited as to what you will do in the next days and weeks and months to come. And we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.